You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode features two guests from the Council for Affordable Quality Healthcare, or CAQH. April Todd, Senior Vice President of the Committee on Operating Rules, or CORE, and Aaron Weber, Director of CORE, both join our Dish on Health IT host to discuss standards adoption around pharmacy and medical benefit, burden reduction, value-based care, ongoing pilots, and the work CAQH is doing in general. We hope you find today's episode helpful and that you'll share your topic ideas with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we break down and discuss some of Health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones with leading industry guests. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants. Uh, We work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem, and we're viewed as an independent trusted party. I'm Ken Kleinberg, practice lead for innovative technologies, and your host. My co-host, Jocelyn Keegan and I are excited to welcome our special guests from the Council for Affordable Quality Healthcare, that is CAQH, April Todd, Senior Vice President, and Erin Weber, Director at CORE. Among the key topics uh, we're planning to discuss today are driving adoption of transactions and standards in pharmacy and medical benefit, fire, use cases such as prior authorization, burden reduction, return on investment, pilot work, Uh, perhaps we'll have some time to talk about the Cleveland Clinic, and uh, value-based care. But before we jump into this discussion, I'd like my co-host, Jocelyn, to briefly introduce herself and tell us what excites her about today's podcast. Jocelyn? Great. Thanks, Ken. I'm super excited to be here today. Uh, For folks that are listening for the first time, I'm Jocelyn Keegan. I'm our payer practice lead here at Point of Care Partners. In addition to that, I'm actually the program manager for the DaVinci Initiative, which is spending a lot of time um, around some of the topics we're going to discuss with the CAQH folks. And um, I come from a product management background and have actually owned a number of the topics through my time here in healthcare that the CAQH folks focus on. So uh, why I'm excited to have um, Erin and April with us today is um, I actually uh, entered healthcare Um, in working in healthcare IT, focused on both the medical and the pharmacy space um, when we look at transactions and automating workflow and spent a lot of time getting the initial pharmacy standards around prior authorizations up and running in my product management days. So I'm really excited to see CAQH really expand their work on the indices there and transaction adoption across X12. Uh, It's been great to get to know the team over the last couple of years. And uh, I'm really excited about there being a starting place with the survey work that they're doing um, so that we can really start to uncover what's working, where the blockers are. Uh, And I think as we start to look at this wider range of transactions in US healthcare, um, we're gonna be able to understand where we make our investments and really get at the core issues and barriers that we've had around adoption in some areas. So it's always great to hear their unique perspective um, at the seat at the table that they get to enjoy a CAQH and look forward to today's discussion. Okay, great. Let's uh, greet our guests, uh, April Todd and Erin Weber. Uh, Welcome to the Dish on Health IT. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us. How about we start with the two of you more fully introducing yourselves. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, how you got involved with uh, CAQH. April, would you go first? Sure, happy to, and, and thank you, thank you for having us uh, with you today. Just by by way of, of background, 
Yeah, I, uh, I've been fortunate to, I think, work in almost every sector of uh, healthcare and the healthcare policy space. Actually, uh, my very first job was working in long-term care, getting the first EHR uh, up and running in uh, the nursing home that I was at. But since then, I've had experience in government on the health plan side, working in the consultant and IT space, and also you know now with CAQH within the, the nonprofit space. So I feel like I've had a, uh, been very fortunate to have some broad experience all across uh, the industry and have really learned to appreciate the, the vast uh, diversity of perspectives and the need for um, agreement and alignment to make progress uh, within this industry. And so happy to be here and uh, happy to talk a bit more about CAQH. I can hand it over to Aaron. Thanks, April. And thanks to Ken and Jocelyn for having us today. Um, I My background is in strategic revenue cycle consulting. So prior to CAQH, I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers doing uh, work with the Veterans Health Administration. And then prior to that, with the advisory board company, where I worked with hospitals and health systems around the country to identify and implement breast best practices. What I love about CAQH and CORE specifically is the focus on mission. So rather than solving for a single client challenge, we're really working to implement change at a national level. I'm really passionate about bringing together disparate stakeholders to have what are sometimes difficult and challenging conversations about how to drive progress through automation and interoperability. All right. Well, thanks, both of you. So before we get too deep into these many issues uh, we want to discuss today, could you give us uh, a bit of a baseline information on CEQH? Many people have likely heard of uh, your work, uh, CORE, and of the index uh, adoption and benchmarking reports. So could you start with some of that baseline for us? April? Uh, so CAQH really is kind of in a unique spot within the industry. We are a we're a nonprofit organization, and our mission is focused on um, helping to streamline and simplify uh, the business of healthcare. And so we focus a lot on the on the administrative space. And as part of our mission, we really um, have what I I always tell people is a three legged stool for some of the work that we do. So we have a research arm that's called Explorations and. Really what the focus of Explorations is, is to uh, work with the industry to monitor and gauge the progress towards automation and where there are gaps, where there are things the industry can focus on to improve. We also have uh, what I call a policy arm with CORE. And with CORE, you know, we really bring um, the entire industry together, multiple stakeholders, as Aaron mentioned, to, um, to try to work towards consensus on how to um, operate uh, between plans and providers within um, the healthcare industry on, on transactions and standards. And then lastly, around solutions, we also bring solutions uh, to the industry that, that really can be defined as utilities. And these are industry solutions where it makes sense to have one central place to do things and where a competitive approach um, you know, between vendors and others doesn't necessarily make sense. And so um, we have historically focused on things like credentialing, um, provider directories, some of the provider data uh, work, coordination of benefits. And, and now, and we'll, I'll talk about this a bit later, is also around the endpoint directory. So we're really um, trying to bring people together, drive consensus, and, and, and serve as that, that point for having those broad industry discussions. Okay, great. Thanks for that background. So let's now dive into what are likely the most pressing questions our audience will want to hear about, our transformation in, from a more batch-type transactional X12 EDI, long laundry list there, approach to information exchange. We've had it for 20 years since the early days of HIPAA to one that's more real-time, extended in terms of more robust exchange of clinical data, 
fire standards. I'm thinking here attachments and 21st century cures and open APIs. How is the industry managing this transformation? April? Yeah, so um, you know what I think is is most fascinating, and actually will get more interesting here as as technology advances even more quickly than than it has, is that um, as an industry, um, you know we're we are going to need to learn to adapt more quickly, um, and we are always going to have this I think kind of push and pull between existing standards and technology and new and new standards and technology so the the discussion right now happening around x12 and fire to me feels like the introductory uh, <laughs> paragraph uh, I guess to this book and so what I think is going to be really uh, helpful and this is what um, core is, is trying to help facilitate is how do we, advance as an industry in a organized way, in a way where there are common expectations uh, across the entire industry. Because we're going to have, you know, some organizations that are way ahead and others that trail behind. And so regardless of whether it's now or today in the future, how can we take best advantage of what we have and capitalize on the new technology that's 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 coming and uh, make sure that there's some common expectations where everyone can engage with each other. So that's uh, to your point, you'd mentioned attachments. Uh, we're specifically working on that um, and and how we can do that effectively. And I'll have Aaron talk here uh, more specifically around what we're doing there. But that's that's really kind of what we're focused on and where we see the big challenge right now in the industry is trying to get everyone aligned and at least moving in the same direction and have similar processes for doing that. Erin, anything to add? And, and then we'll bring Jocelyn in. Yeah. Um, so within CAQH Core and our participating organizations, the word attachments really means clinical documentation. And how can you connect the clinical and administrative data to support where the industry is at now. Um, and our CAQH index data, you know, demonstrates that still there is a lot of partially electronic and manual work being done to exchange this documentation, both for prior auth and claims, um, which is a significant source of administrative burden. We just had a CAQH core subgroup complete the development of draft operating rules for the prior authorization use case related to the exchange of attachments, and they're about to begin work on claim attachments, and, and we hope that those rules will be finalized later this year. A key aspect of the draft rules and, and the debate and discussion that the participants had was how to consider both, X, how, to, how to consider how X12 and FIRE transactions can work well together, given we know this is what will have to happen for a successful transformation. So that the group looked at the various exchange formats and both are included in the draft rules. Jocelyn, you have extensive experience with these many fire accelerators, in particular the DaVinci Project between payers and providers. With your POCP hat on, what are your thoughts? So, um, which is so great because I can say so many more things with that hat on. So um, I think that, you know, Aaron and April, you know, get at the heart of the issue. And I, I, I think as we think about sort of this transformation that we're seeing, right, as new technology comes into the, the industry, it's really, you know, acknowledging this massive investment that we have in X12 and that it runs a large part of the world that we operate in. But, you know, Aaron um, started to sort of poke at this. You know, we have to bring administrative and clinical data together and be able to look at it holistically, right, to be able to make that transformation to value-based care and for people to be successful in their at-risk contracts. Um, and uh, getting the clinical data in some form of payload is incredibly important 
and different partners are going to pick, pick different tools. And we have this natural tension in the industry, right, of people saying that they want to be able to implement and drive where the industry heads, but that in reality, when we look at pipelines and roadmaps, often people are doing what's being you know, pushed from a regulatory standpoint. And I think attachments is a great example of that, right? I think we haven't seen adoption, I think, for a number of reasons or consistent adoption across the market, but we hear this demand in the market. So I think as we look at new and emerging technologies in the shift to APIs and, and information blocking, really unlocking that data at rest in the EHRs, leveraging the technology that is, I would say, the lingua franca, right, of the EHR, which is turning into fire, right? That's what we're seeing the industry and our friends at ONC and CMS really putting their thumb on the scale to, to name it into reg or propose it as resources in many um, pending regs. We need to really be honest um, about making sure that we're me meeting everybody where they are today. You know, I think we've all seen examples in industry. If we don't actually, you know, acknowledge current state, then we don't get the adoption that we expect. So um, I think that the work that CAQH and others are doing to progress that conversation, uh, and I think that, you know, listening to the testimony that's been happening at NCVHS and at groups like ICAD are going to be incredibly important for our regulators to look at to make sure that they have an exclusive answer you know, an inclusive answer to the industry that's going to accommodate, you know, taking advantage of the existing technology, but also understanding people may want to leverage existing rails that they already have in production in this area. All right. Thanks, everyone, for your insight on that. My next question for you, April. Could you say a bit more about your methods for determining cost reductions, time savings, uh, burden reduction, big buzzword, value, and even ROI uh, from the standardized transactions? What have been your findings? Do they differ between pharmacy and medical benefit? And if so, why would that be the case? Uh, NCPDP certainly been a factor in improving many aspects of pharmacy transactions. Yeah, so um, you know, one of the ways that, that we do that is, is through our explorations program and particularly um, what we call the CQH index. The index is an annual survey that we have done uh, now for eight years, uh, going into our ninth. And really what we do in that index and what we've done historically is we survey plans and providers, um, vendors uh, within the industry as well. And what we're really trying to get them to do is help us understand you know, the volume of different types of transactions uh, how are they conducted? Are they you know, done manually through phone and, and fax uh, and mail? Are they done um, electronically using the standards that have been established? Or are they electronic in nature, but are more proprietary through some of the web-based portals that exist uh, in the industry today? So, so we ask about that. We also ask about the, um, the cost um, of the staff time to uh, do all of those transactions through those mechanisms and how much time it takes to uh, do particular transactions in that way. And, you know, we look at HIPAA transactions and non-HIPAA transactions. And actually in our last survey, I have started to ask more questions about value-based care, um, around the use of fire, the impact of COVID on the transactions. And also in the past year, you know, through working with some experts, including, um, including point of care partners and NCPDP, we've also done an initial pharmacy services index. Historically, we focused on medical and dental, but the pharmacy space is just as important and actually has some, uh, some differences to it that maybe the other industries can learn from. And so, you know, there's definitely, to your point, there's some, definitely some differences um, in, in medical and dental versus pharmacy. And, and there's some really good reasons for that. There are some areas that 
are more automated on the pharmacy side than in medical. And some of it's due to different workflows, differences in complexity of the information that's shared. But we're really looking forward in the next year to expanding on the pharmacy um, services index and engaging with more industry partners uh, to gather their experience and, and help to figure out where are the biggest uh, places where we can get a return on investment and improve not only for uh, the pharmacy indi- industry, but with all industries and, and what um, they can learn from each other. Jocelyn, comments? Yeah, I think this is really important because I think we have to measure things in order to understand we're making progress, where there are barriers. And I think our goal should be to move, you know, the goal of moving people to more and more automation. You know, there are no, you know, silver bullets out there, right? We have to get each user in each location to use more and more automation. And that is no easy lift. So I think that the work that CAQH is doing here, and I think inclusion of the pharmacy workflows is incredibly important. Um, I'd like to um, just to pause and reflect on the fact that, you know, we have seen this amazing voluntary adoption, you know, upwards of 80 and 90% adoption with some of the PBMs and provider workflows around EPA and the pharmacy industry. Uh, and I think that to April's point, there is there are significant differences between what we do on the medical side versus what we do in retail pharmacy, right? And I think that one of the big distinctions is that the, the pharmacy side of the world has really grappled with, at least on retail, you know, specialty, I think, is more akin to where we are on medical in so many places. This world where we're seeing, you know, um, something doesn't get dispensed, right, until a pharmacist or the pharmacy knows they're going to get paid for it, right? That that's a huge difference. And so that those two worlds of medical um, benefit uh, versus pharmacy benefit and payment and the actual, you know, clinical activity are really tightly wound together in real, t- real, t- real time pharmacy. I think that's important. But I also think that um, it'll be interesting to see as we start to measure and we get that more nuanced information out of the pharmacy um, participants, you know, are there are there things that we're doing on both sides that can go both ways to improve things? I, I don't think that at the end of the day, that we're going to be able to do apples to apples comparisons. But I think that looking at, you know, work that's happening um, with the team at CAQH and also the AHIP Fast Path project that we're just seeing information published about, you know, um, that we should be able to start to at least unlock and identify, you know, where are places that we can use the existing or the emerging technologies to, you know, start to break down some of the barriers we have around adoption of the existing standards and start to get some of those emerging standards out and working. But I also think that being able to, I don't know if the word I would use is just vocabulary build, common ways to talk about these challenges in the industry, and that starting to unlock this whole this whole point of it's really not prior authorization unto itself that's really driving these challenges, but it's all of the steps leading up to prior authorization, both on the pharmacy and the medical side, that is really need to be unlocked and automated sort of one by one to improve data transparency and the information equity for the, the, the provider and the payer knowing the same thing about patients' benefits so that people can sort of make the make better, better informed decisions further upstream than sort of the all of the pain sort of colliding around the exercise around prior authorization. And I think you could take that same sort of logic and apply it across a number of other workflows in the space between provider and payer collaboration. 
Well, let's take that topic of prior authorization, that use case, and, and dive a little deeper here. For sure, there's room for improvement in terms of the transactions and standards. What is it about that use case that made it stand out as having the lowest level of adoption of the many trans other transactions? What do we think will improve this situation? Uh, there's some regulation that was rapidly finalized uh, from the past administration, appears to be on hold with the new administration. Aaron or April, what could you say about that? Uh, I can start off and talk about some of the barriers we've seen in our research. Um, certainly, Jocelyn mentioned one of them just now, and that, that's sort of the steps leading up to the prior authorization itself. Of course, we saw new data coming from the AMA just in the past couple of weeks about the considerable burden of prior authorization, even as COVID um, you know, restricted the use of prior authorizations for providers are still saying it's a significant challenge. In terms of barriers to actually automating prior authorization, what we heard from the industry through our research is, is first and foremost, a lack of understanding around the breadth of the information available in, in the transaction, the 278 transaction, and a, a lack of an awareness. I was um, continually surprised by the number of providers we spoke to who didn't even know that there was a HIPAA transaction, despite all of the work that has been done to educate the industry. Also, the limited availability of vendor products to readily support the standard transaction. Um, you know, there's a bit of a who comes first uh, challenge here in terms of, you know, are the providers asking for it? Are the vendors offering it? And, you know, some of our data showed um, a few years ago that only about 12% of vendors supported uh, the 278 transaction compared to 75% and higher for the other transactions. There are a lot of variations in state requirements for prior authorization um, in terms of manual interventions and response times. Of course, we touched on this earlier, the lack of a attachment standard to communicate that clinical documentation, which is a key part of automation. And just generally, as we've been talking about, the lack of integration between the clinical and administrative systems, as well as the fact that uh, the industry is at varying levels of maturity along that standards and technology adoption curve, making interoperability a real challenge. Now, that said, um, this year we saw a, a bit of an uptick in the automation of prior authorization in the CAQH index, up from about 12% in 2019 to 21% uh, in 2020. And so CAQH Core has developed uh, a set of prior authorization operating rules addressing things like additional data content needs to convey a documentation needs, uh, response time requirements that you know, the industry needs to continually adopt and improve and, and align these expectations across the various transactions and standards available. So I'll, I'll turn it over to April now to talk a little bit more broadly about how this work aligns with the industry efforts and the regulation. Yeah, and and you know one of the things I'd, I'd highlight too, um, uh, you mentioned Cleveland Clinic and some of the work that we've been doing there. One of the things that we have started to do over the past couple of years and incorporate it just into our general processes is to gather ROI um, of the different uh, rules and things that we're doing. And uh, we have worked with uh, Cleveland Clinic and Prior Off now on some uh, evaluation of those rule sets. And even without having uh, standards and attach uh, for and rules for attachments, you know, incorporating in operating rules um, and using APIs together, 
Um, so using the new technology and the operating rules um, really helped in that process, you know, reducing some time by around 80% from their, their staff time. So, so we're seeing some, some real improvement there, but definitely uh, more improvement to be made and bringing in attachments could be a really big um, help to that as well. In terms of the, the regulation itself, I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've been um, hearing from, you know, participants and our board um, and just the industry in general is, you know, there, there is this desire to make progress, but there are some things that I think are, um, that we've had some concerns with in the regulation. And, and one of them is, you know, only, only applying to one segment of the, of the population. And, you know, whenever you do that, it just creates, you know, differences in, in standards and expectations between, you know, whether it's Medicaid or it's Medicare or commercial, and that just creates a lot of confusion. And so, you know, we think that if it, if there's a consistent process that applies to everyone, it will just help the entire industry progress. So that, that's one of the key things that I think is, is really needed within the industry. And also just explaining, you know, how, how are some of the new rules that would go in place, you know, how does it relate to HIPAA so that we can make sure whatever we roll out to the industry that we're clear and there isn't confusion because whenever there's confusion, it's going to impact adoption and, and none of us want that. And so those have been our thoughts around the regulation. You know, we very much support, you know, having uh, improvement and increasing technology, but we do need to make sure we have processes that encourage adoption because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Now, very encouraging to hear some uptick in prior authorization, certainly an area that we at Point of Care Partners have been uh, promoting and attempting to advance. So with a few minutes left, uh, perhaps we could talk about what's coming. You've conducted years of research on the opportunity to smooth the implementation to value-based care. Certainly many complexities to this, such as patient attribution. Could you discuss your role in this adoption of value-based care? Yeah, so a, a few years ago, our board in particular started feeling some of the same pain points they were feeling when CAQH Core was first founded and the HIPAA transactions were first being implemented. And that was that even though you may have standard processes and ways of doing things, everyone's still doing things just a little bit differently, which makes it very hard to automate and can create real burdens. And so our board directed us to do some research to really understand where there might be opportunity to create some more uniformity in the industry and reduce that administrative burden, improving information change and enhancing transparency across the clinical and administrative verticals. You know, you can't look at value-based uh, care and fee-for-service as two separate worlds. It's a continuum. It's not black and white. And you don't want to have two different ways of doing things because you're using the same systems in the end. So the way we approached our research was really to look at the revenue cycle across fee-for-service and value-based payments and try to understand where there needed to be differences, where there were different data needs. And out of that, identified um, some key opportunity areas for streamlining value-based payments across the industry. Most recently, uh, we took on the challenge of sharing of patient and provider attribution information and released a set of operating rules at the end of last year that enable the sharing of both single patient attribution information in the eligibility transaction and a roster of attributed patients using a version of the X12-834 uh, transaction so that there were some common expectations around the data that are shared related to attribution and with the rosters, um, some timeframes and frequency at which those rosters are shared so providers could begin to have some consistent expectations and automation around that work. April, do you have anything you want to talk about here as well in terms of next steps for value-based work? 
Yeah, in terms of in terms of next steps, uh, as Erin mentioned, we we got a priority list uh, from our uh, advisory group as to this is the most important, and then move on. Attribution was definitely the the one that was identified as we we need to tackle this, and so we we started with that, and I think. You know, in addition to the rules that we put out there, we're also monitoring to see what is happening with fire and some of the progress that's been made there and, and when does it make sense to incorporate that. So we're, we're watching that as well. And what we're working on right now is our second priority is, you know, are there things that we can do in the exchange of information to support, you know, quality measures and gaps in care? And so we're conducting an environmental scan right now to to gauge what's happening and and what could be done to, to at least start to make it a little simpler. Uh, and we know, you know, there are a number of other groups looking at that as well. But I think, you know, from the, the role that we have uh, as a designated operating role authoring entity from HHS is, you know, can we use that to help to um, bring together everything everyone's doing and, and, and try to align that and, and create some common expectations. So uh, we're working on that. We know it's an extremely huge challenge within the industry and uh, hoping to gather everyone's you know, best perspectives and, and help to make some progress there. Jocelyn, please, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I think this is great. And um, it's I just always l- love to listen to the work that uh, is underway from a CAQH perspective. And and I think that, you know, what you're seeing is, you know, the the reality of sort of up for all of these existing standards or existing tools that are being out there, how can you create, you know, better ways to onboard people? And so to make sure that you get that consistency and that repeatability out of the X12 world that you need. I do think that uh, what we're seeing is, you know, everyone can agree we're trying to move forward to getting information standardized, codified so that we can automate as much as possible. I think with some of the emerging standards, it does change sort of how those interactions that are happening as we move from big transaction sets to more API real-time interactions. But, you know, to Aaron's point, the work that's happening around the exchange of the information for member attribution, you know, this was a use case that came out really early when we were doing our data exchange work on DaVinci, that being able to identify who's in a particular at-risk contract uh, was game-changing for these folks that, you know, had made a decision to implement via, via FIRE. So we've actually spent some time onboarding Aaron's team to the work that's been underway at DaVinci. We just um, balloted uh, a, a draft standard for trial use one, it's called attribution, but risk-based member identification use case. And we're seeing huge relief, right? That there are now more standard ways for people to do this in their API format. But I don't think it precludes a world where everybody's doing everything the same thing, same way. I'll use just anecdotally one of my DaVinci members, you know, who has made a decision as an organization that fire is the way they're going to communicate in the industry. Um, and they do a lot of wrapping of stuff that isn't fire to look like fire coming in and out of their building. And they've got 60 different formats they currently use to exchange their um, attribution information with all of the payers they work with, right? So we can all agree that, you know, having two or three standardized ways to do things is better than 60 ad hoc ways to do this information. So, um, yeah, I think we're seeing a ton of innovation in the industry. We're seeing new and emerging technologies. I think that, you know, April and Aaron um, are cutting through sort of, you know, um, some of the core challenges, meeting people where they are in reality. Uh, and I think that as we start to expand and really understand how fire is going to work in a world, you know, to date that has been so controlled by HIPAA and the X12 named standards in those worlds, we're going to continue to look for how they interact and come up with work like we've done in prior authorization to make sure that there's a clear path and exchange path for people who want to leverage new standards, but also use and leverage the existing standards that they already have significant investment in. So I think it's an exciting time to be in this space. I think that there's tremendous progress that's being made. And I think we all agree that there's need to get better instruction out there 
in the industry so that that clinical data that currently is often very challenging or very manual to collect and create to be able to help people meet their contract obligations so that they can get their upside and they can manage their patients to healthier outcomes um, is a common priority for everybody. So I'm, I'm actually really excited. And as I mentioned before, excited to see really sort of the CAQH team get more actively involved beyond our traditional X12 world that we've expected to see them in to see where and how they can add value to, uh, to all, all of the early adopters and, uh, and our friends over on the pharmacy side. All right. Well, as we work to wrap up this podcast, April and Aaron, uh, we'd like to give you an opportunity to point out any initiatives, uh, topics, industry asks that we either discussed or not today that you'd like people to know more about or take action on. The Endpoint Directory? Yeah, no, definitely would like to talk about the Endpoint Directory, but I'll also put a plug in there for the index as we're getting close to our collection period for the index. I always have to, to plug that. If you see a request, please respond. We, I think we all appreciate that. But related to the, uh, I did want to mention something about the CQH Endpoint Directory. We're actually getting very close to um, releasing that um, publicly. We've been working with a variety of, of industry partners, you know, folks with ONC Fast and with DaVinci, with the Karen Alliance um, uh, at a ver- various different connectathons to help help put uh, a utility out in the industry to support the CMS uh, and ONC interoperability rules and, and help with some of the regulations that are uh, have compliance dates that are coming up this July and, and coming up next year to really help people find each other, uh, to have a trusted place of information around fire endpoints and for you know apps and, apps and payers to be able to share information about each other. And we're hoping that this will be a, a great place to um, help make those potentially up to 300,000 some connections that need to be made of people who've never engaged with each other before to make that easier and simpler. And so we're very excited to be able to to serve in this role and and help the industry and encourage folks that uh, may not be aware of it to uh, please come to our website and we'd be uh, happy to get you up to speed on what we're doing. Jocelyn, final thoughts. I think this is great. And I think that, um, you know, what you're seeing in the work, I think that CAQH is doing around Endpoint Directory is a great example of, and thanks for the plug around the work at ONC Fast you know, really saying how do we scale as an industry and not always having the perfect penultimate solution, but how do we innovate and allow, you know, sort of existing parties and new parties in the industry to be able to provide solutions for these new technologies that we're deploying, you know, really large scale. Uh, I think that, you know, Aaron made a point earlier about the fact that, you know, as we look at these emerging regs that are pushing people forward, I think at a pace that we didn't anticipate adoption of fire, especially on the payer side, you know, the more and more of those regs um, are all payer um, or expand the footprint of lives covered, the more important it is for us to have tools and utilities out there like endpoint directories. So if you haven't spent time following what's happening with ONC Fast, I recommend folks take some time to uh, go and look at all of the functional areas that we're really looking to define those standards um, and be able to, you know, allow uh, industry participants to really drive you know, the, the solutions that we need. So um, it's been great to watch the group um, that CEQH has been collaborating with really test and validate, you know, um, how a tool like this would work uh, to be able to allow this automated transactions work to actually become a reality in the industry for consumers to be able to get access to their own information. So I look forward to seeing it go live and, uh, and, and, and see what happens when everybody turns their switches on for July 1st. So. Okay, great. I want to thank my co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and especially to our distinguished guests, April Todd and Aaron Weber of CAQH. And thanks to our audience for listening to this edition of Point of Care Partners Edition on Health IT. 
Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts, including our most recent new platform that just started carrying us, Healthcare Now Radio and the podcast channel. And if you prefer, you could also watch extended versions of our podcast on the POCP video channel on our website. So remember, especially as the weather is getting warmer, health IT is a dish best served hot. Thank you. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 